0: Brain scientists are calling for tighter restrictions on what young people can do right up to the age of 25. That's because they've discovered that the brain may only fully mature in the mid-20s, helping to explain why young people are prone to taking dangerous risks. Sue Ingram has taken a look at the developing research. I'm This is Justin Timberlake, one of today's hit pop stars, selling millions and dominating MP3 players. The music loved by teenagers can be incomprehensible to adults, but it's not just the music that is misunderstood.
1: Mum would be like, no, you can't do that, and I'd be like, what do you mean? And go nutcase and be like, what? And then I'd walk into my bedroom and be like, what the hell did I just do? You know,
0: At a certain point during adolescence, it's common for things to go a bit crazy. And then
1: we wouldn't be talking because we we're very similar. We, neither of us would acknowledge the fact we were wrong. And it was just pure acting on emotions.
0: This 19-year-old, I'll call her Emma, is reflecting on how she would clash with her mum when she was living at home. She's one of four young people I talked with for this programme whose names I've changed so that they would talk more freely with me.
1: Like I'd come home from work or school in a perfectly fine mood and she'd say something like, just nothing, and I'd, be, I'd hit the roof cry and I'd be an absolute like hysterical mess over something that was so minuscule like can you bring in the washing no I don't want to bring the well can you bring it? no and then you just lose it and it was like even I would be like what was that
0: intuitively parents know this type of situation is part of growing up Experts are now helping to build a scientific foundation to that intuition with research that suggests that teenage tantrums can be explained by how the brain is developing. It's almost as huge in some ways as very early brain development. This is Dr. Susan Foster-Cohen from the Brainwave Trust, an organisation that aims to give up-to-date scientific information on childhood development. Lots of new connections being made, lots of pruning of connections in the brain that are now regarded as not being necessary, and a lot of sort of internal reorganization where adolescents are beginning to make more use of certain parts of their brain and bring it into sync with other parts. Until relatively recently, it was thought that physical maturity also indicated the brain was fully developed. But Professor Harleen Hain from the University of Otago says new evidence suggests that just because the brain has stopped growing, that doesn't mean it has stopped changing. That view was based primarily
2: on our ability to actually look at the size of the brain, primarily through postmortem studies. So we could weigh the brain of an 18-year-old, and it was just about the same size as the brain of an adult. But with recent advances in our ability to actually look at the human brain in action, it's becoming increasingly clear to researchers that the functional maturation of the brain, that is, the way that
0: it works is not completely mature until probably the mid-20s. The ability to look at the brain in action is made possible with the use of functional MRI, that is, a specialised type of magnetic resonance imaging. The last piece of the
2: brain to become functionally mature, which means that all of its synapses are in place, that it is fully myelinated or insulated so that it functions really well, The neurochemical systems that control interaction between neurons are mature. That happens at about the age of 22 or so for the big chunk of your brain that sits behind your forehead. That part of your brain is referred to as the prefrontal cortex. So that's the last part of your brain to reach functional maturity. The prefrontal cortex, for example, controls things like attention span. It's involved in planning, particularly over long periods of time. It's involved in problem solving and critical thinking. It's involved in impulse control, self-monitoring, those kinds of things. So those major cognitive functions are all obviously tied up in your ability to make a decision about whether or not you're going to engage in a risky behavior.
0: At the University of Auckland, the Liggins Institute carries out medical research focused on child growth and development. The Institute's director is Professor Peter Gluckman.
3: The pathways that control wisdom, judgment and impulse control and many people don't develop till the order of 25 years of age.
0: How does this knowledge affect our notion of coming of age, the time thought of as one that marks the transition from adolescence to adulthood? Big celebrations at 21 are still common. That's not too different from what the science is suggesting. For others, it's 18. But with no staged initiation rite in Western society to mark the transition, when do young people think they reach adulthood? As well as Emma, I also spoke to Sophie, Jack and Ben. They all live just north of Wellington, but have quite different backgrounds. Jack is 20.
4: I grew up in Lower Hat, but I moved up here and I've sort of moved from different areas quite a lot due to my parents um, breaking up and then moving and then sort of one parent getting sick of me throwing me to the other and coming back up and I've been to a f- five different schools in total so I've moved around a little bit. I've always been in sports so I've just gone to personal training and I've spent a year studying at Welltech and now I'm working full time at a gym on, on the coast.
0: Where are you living? Who are you living with?
4: I'm living with my mother at the moment. Um, I paid some money for her to change the garage into a sleep out
0: so, semi-independent?
4: Semi-independent.
0: What does she still do for you?
4: <laughs> she, she does all my washing, cooks my meals, and that sort of thing. But she does all the dishes, keeps the house tidy. I'm hardly in the house.
0: Do you think of yourself as an adult now or do you think that will happen in the future?
4: I see myself as an adult at the moment. Um, probably have for a couple of years. I've actually only just moved back in with my mother. I've I spent some time in the army. but. I've, I didn't live at home in my sixth form year. I moved out.
0: What do you think means that you're an adult? Is it the type of decisions you take? What kind of confers adulthood?
4: I don't see it as, as something people are. It's responsibility you're given. If you're given full responsibility of your life and no one else is really taking responsibility and you don't have anyone telling you what to do, no boundaries, and you're there to make every single decision yourself, I consider that being an adult.
0: Sophie was just about to turn eighteen when I spoke to her. She still lives at home, but feels she's taken on more responsibility
5: since leaving school last year. I live at home with my parents. I also have a young brother and sister that live at home, but my elder sister lives in Wellington. Do you feel that you're an adult already? Do you feel that you will become an adult? And if so, when do you think that might be? I feel I do have a bit of maturity on board. Um. I do do adult things, but then I also like to relax and do kid things as well, like, I don't know, go down the park with my brother and play tag. What do you class as adult things? Um, Drinking, driving, I don't know, being independent, doing things for myself, yeah. You said that you were living at home. Does that mean that your parents do quite a lot for you still? No, I do do my own washing and I clean my room and all that sort of thing, but they do cook dinner for me, but apart from that. It's all pretty independent
0: here. Yeah. Although just over a year older, Emma at 19 is already used to looking after herself.
1: Yeah, I moved out of home when I was 17, so I've been living by myself. Not necessarily by myself, like flatting, but um, I consider myself an adult now. Just because I'm, I'm working full time, I'm, like, I'm supporting myself. Because I know, I know people that are older than me that are still living at home that act 10 years younger than me.
6: Mr. You can sit in here quietly or you can go and sit out there. I'm nearly 24, I've got a five-year-old son and we live together by ourselves at the moment and um, I work part-time as a chief but
0: full-time single dad. The natural process may mean that at 24 Ben's brain is fully developed, but he definitely feels that becoming a father at 18 made a difference.
6: Yes. Eighteen, I still probably wasn't quite ready for it, but through the process, it thrust me into an adult life. And I think through having the consequences of that, progressed my, um, my growth into adulthood. But it did take a few years. I had to live the adult life, take on those responsibilities. But still in myself, there was a period of growth that I had to undergo.
0: Change and challenges still appear to loom large for older teens and 20-somethings. However, taking on responsibility seems to be an important step. But compare these lives, these responsibilities, to those of earlier generations, when work, marriage and parenting for the majority of people loomed in quick succession and a lot earlier. Peter Gluckman from the Liggins Institute says in earlier times the gap between a person reaching puberty, that is, full physical maturation, and the taking on of adult responsibilities was a couple of years at best. That has now stretched.
3: Something dramatic's happened over the last hundred years. While teenagers were able to be accepted as adults at, say, the age of 18 to 20, even younger perhaps in many cases, a hundred years ago, that's not the case now. So if we take the period between when puberty is complete, that is biological maturation is complete, and adolescence is complete, that is the age at which an individual is accepted as an adult, that's perhaps stretched out from two years, 100 years ago, or even 50 years ago, to something more like 10 or 15 years now. And the issue is, is that biological, What is partially biological, and to what extent is it social and cultural?
0: Author Celia Lashley believes society has created today's extended period of adolescence. For her Good Man Schools project, which asked what makes a good man in the 21st century, she spent hundreds of hours talking to groups of teenage boys and those involved in their lives.
7: In the 1930s, in a town down on the West Coast, I was talking to a man who described that when the boys left school at 12, they went down the mine, or they might have done a year on an agricultural farm and then went down the mine. If you go down a mine at 13, I suspect your brain develops quite quickly. If you are held in an adolescent society that makes it okay for you to be an adolescent until you're 25, then you relax, and we kind of excuse their behaviour.
0: Changes to the way society considers adolescence echo what scientists are finding out about how long it takes for the brain to reach full maturation. Is there then a connection? Has the period of adolescence lengthened because the brain is taking longer to reach full development? Professor of Psychology, Harleen Hain.
2: Certainly the evolution of the brain is not going to occur on the time span of of several decades. So I don't think that there's been any major shift in neurological development over the last few generations. Whether or not there's been a change over the last, you know, thousand years, the answer to that is probably yes. But certainly in the sort of the historical time that most people are interested in, we don't have any evidence
0: to suggest that there's been a major change. Peter Gluckman from the Liggins Institute says it's difficult to know if the speed of brain development has changed.
3: We unfortunately can't work that out. There's no way. And so we're left with one of three possibilities. Firstly, the brain always took that long to mature, but that the latter parts of maturation were less important in a less complex society. Secondly, that because society has got immeasurably more complex, it takes longer for the brains to learn the skills that are needed to be fully functional as an adult. And thirdly, it may be that the way we treat young people as they grow up has slowed the maturation of their brains. Now, I happen to be of the bias that all three of those explanations are part of the total explanation.
0: Professor Gluckman believes there's been a switch in the way children have been brought up.
3: From one in which the pre-teen years were relatively unstructured and that children could play after school and there weren't a lot of after school activities and they had a lot of freedom and took part in risk-taking activities which allowed them to make judgments of their own, whereas the teenage years were much more rigidly structured, say 50 years ago to a situation now where the pre-teenage years are very rigorously structured, both in school and after school, and parents, frankly, don't have the capacity to manage their teenagers in an era of internet, media, YouTube, Facebook, etc., etc.
0: Susan Foster-Cohen believes children at an early age should be given space to make their own decisions to risk in a safe environment.
7: Because that prefrontal cortex is developing across 25 years, You can't keep them cosseted as children until they're 15 and then suddenly say, here are the car keys, off you go, because they haven't had any experience of making good
0: decisions for themselves, finding out what works, what doesn't work, making their mistakes, and they need that experience. Celia Lashley calls it the pragmatic muscle and urges parents to let their children develop its strength by use.
7: The societal image that shocked me most in the project was... Mothers not only make the lunch for the boy, and he could be 16, 17 or 18, she makes his lunch and puts it on the bench, and then he forgets it. But he doesn't need to remember it, because when he rings home and tells her he hasn't got his lunch, she's going to hop in the car and deliver it to him. When I asked the mothers, why don't you let him go hungry? The answer was, because he won't learn in the afternoon if he hasn't eaten properly at lunchtime. So we've ended up this incredible achievement-oriented, let's take care of them. And as a result, he can't get the sense that any of his decisions matter. And I think, you know, in, the, in what I saw, and to some extent this will apply to adolescent girls as well, part of growing up is when your decisions matter. The
0: idea that by exercising and strengthening the muscle of control we'll see teens be more thoughtful about their actions will better consider consequence is a seductive one. But Harleen Hain from Otago University says the neurological evidence does not back it up.
2: There's no evidence to suggest that you can speed up the development of the brain by any means, really. I mean, there's lots of ways of showing how you can slow it down, how you can disturb its development. But there's really no evidence to suggest that you can make it happen faster. And that's really what you would have to argue if you thought that in training judgment and impulse control was something that you could actually do from an early age.
0: An evolving picture is forming instead that teens take risks precisely because of the way their brains are wired at adolescence. To test this, Professor Hayne has conducted experiments to find out the correlation between brain development and the likelihood of someone taking a risk. High school students aged between 13 and 17 were recruited for the research. Professor Haynes says the findings were contrary to what many people might think.
2: Age was not a predictor at all within this age range about how risky individuals were. In other words, some of our 13 year olds were as risky as some of our 17 year olds and conversely some of our older participants exhibited very little risk taking behaviour. What we did find, however, is that there was a very strong relationship between the adolescents' performance on the neuropsychological tests and their self-reported risk-taking. And that was irrespective of the category that we looked at. So whether it was alcohol, whether it was drugs, whether it was unprotected sex, those individuals who exhibited a less mature pattern of neuropsychological functioning were also the ones who were more likely to engage in risk.
0: Hormones don't seem to play a part either. This is one of
2: these instances in which correlation does not imply causation. We all know that there are dramatic hormonal changes in the human body that coincide with adolescence. But if we actually look at the data on the relationship between hormone levels and risk-taking behavior in particular, for girls there's absolutely no relationship whatsoever. So girls with higher or lower hormone levels are no more or less likely to engage in risky behaviors. And for boys, there's a small amount of evidence to suggest that slightly higher levels of testosterone actually might protect them against risk-taking behaviour.
4: You do it for excitement. You don't do it thinking about the consequences. It's quite exciting.
0: 20-year-old Jack is one of those young people who takes risks, while on the one hand, as we heard earlier, he feels he's entered adulthood... On the other, he tells me a story that took place six months ago in which he could quite easily have been killed.
4: night before New Year's just been actually, so I would have still been 20, we went up to Otaki Forks to see a couple of people and we got kicked out because of being loud and, and obnoxious, we got kicked out. So we walked back and parked the car outside the gates and then he kicked us out again. And then it was following us as we were driving around, out. and I was driving, I was sober driver that night. And I getting away from him and I got carried away and I was getting quite excited because it was quite fun because it's quite a narrow gravel road and all of a sudden I didn't see a corner I'm down ditch you start with something small like even going back in there is the smallest risk it was just a bit of fun and he was telling us off and I guess that's just showing that 20 year olds can can be a bit youthful at times and does take a while to grow up and get over these things but and it just got went from one step to in the car going away from him to going a little bit faster going a little bit faster and then all of a sudden you the risk is you've got carried away with it if it wasn't for a certain tree we would have ended up in the river
0: now looking back on that is that sobering
4: oh it was, we we got towed out and drove away
0: and you'd do it again tomorrow i can see in your face
4: <laughs> yes i would I'd, I'd maybe be a bit more cautious if we were getting chased i would drive faster again not mm. that i'm that great a driver it's just
0: Peer pressure is increasingly recognised as significant in the decisions a teenager takes. Girls are traditionally thought of as more cautious, as more mature than similar age boys. So when it comes to brain development and risk-taking, is there a gender difference? Harleen Hain.
2: There would be lots of reasons to suggest that girls' brain maturation might in fact occur faster than boys. There are a number of biological reasons to think that um, girls do mature biologically much faster than boys so part of it might be they're just at a more mature state neurologically but really the only thing internationally that's ever been found to reduce risk-taking in adolescence is some kind of adult control and so what I would argue is that historically we have been better at protecting and parenting and controlling our girls which has kept them out of trouble but nowadays we are more likely to treat our girls
0: very much like our boys. If the way the adolescent brain is developing makes risk-taking more likely, modern life enables more risks to be taken. Today's
2: adolescents have access to motor vehicles, which their counterparts did not have access to 100 years ago. 100 years ago, when you were 15 or 16, it's likely that you would be working on your family farm from sunup to sundown, which made you tired, and you didn't have the same kind of energy to engage in the kind of mischief that today's adolescents can get into. In New Zealand, over the last nine years, we have reduced or relaxed our purchase age requirements for alcohol which means that adolescents in this country have far greater access to a drug
0: that their brain is predisposed to crave. She says that craving is because of the role of the important neurotransmitter dopamine, which is undergoing major changes in the prefrontal cortex. Individuals who experience large amounts of binge drinking during
2: adolescence actually show long-term functional changes in the brain. So, in other words, those adolescents who engage in large amounts of binge drinking, even when they stop drinking, their brain shows significant functional damage. It no longer works as well as it did before those episodes of binge drinking.
0: There are widespread calls for New Zealand's drinking age to be returned to 20. But Emma, who thinks she started drinking at around 15, thinks that wouldn't work.
1: There was, you know, the odd occasion that you'd get absolutely plastered and you'd be ringing your friends' parents and secretly sneaking someone into a bedroom when they're, like, trolleyed and you're all having a sleepover, you know, and you're sneaking out and you're going to parties and all that kind of thing. But then, like, it'd be the same thing, I think, if you put it back up. I don't think that you can really do that now because it has been introduced to that age. If you put it up it's just going to carry on. It's probably going to make things worse because at 18 you know you want to be drinking and you'll be doing it in places that aren't controlled environments.
5: Sophie also began drinking when she was around 15. When I was fifth form maybe mum would give, let me have a wine with dinner sometimes but I suppose drinking drinking started maybe towards the end of fifth form started sixth form maybe like once every month we'd have a night out with the girls or something but I suppose it's become more of a regular thing as we get older yeah. And drinking drinking means? Um <laughs> I suppose just having like more than one I suppose binge drinking. Do you see any risks attached to that? Yes there's a lot of risks um you lose a sense of self-control I suppose and so doing a lot of stupid things like would all be if we were all walking in a group. There'd be someone walking on the road, or if we went to Burger King or something, there'd always be someone that would stand in the drive-through. So I suppose there is risk you can hurt yourself or that sort of thing. Yeah. So why do you do it? Um, it's a really good question. I suppose it's a bit of fun. Jack, at 20, says he's
0: being more cautious now.
4: I've been done for drink driving three times, and I will never drink drive again, ever.
0: Because the third time has brought you too close to the to what?
4: To jail. I, was, I get down one more time, i go to jail. And it, it's not just jail, it's everything. driving driving's just silly, really.
0: So having that boundary, in this case it's prison, but having some boundaries to tell you, no, if you cross this, this is going to be really serious, that's mm. important?
4: Yeah. Um, one of my biggest boundaries now is work. Because I'm in the public eye, I, I do a lot of things in the public eye, and... For out and about doing silly things, I used to see all sorts like go out and just play silly buggers really and just be disorderly. But to get a bad image could ruin my career and at the moment my career means everything to me.
0: For Jack, personal experience and passing time is helping to restrain, at least partially, his risk taking. But Harleen Hain from Otago University is among many experts in this field who would like to see tougher regulations imposed.
2: In contrast to the argument that what we should do is not give them boundaries, I think what we need to do is give them more boundaries and protect them at a time
0: in their life where they are extraordinarily vulnerable. Professor Hayne would like to see increases in the drinking and driving age, as too would social justice advocate Celia Lashley.
7: We think that the teenagers will push against the boundaries and we think that means we should diminish them. I think they enjoy the moment of safety when the boundaries are there.
0: The young people I spoke to aren't so sure. They identify strongly with the idea that only by doing, risking and experiencing have they learnt about life. When Emma first began flatting at 17, one of her early experiences was getting into trouble with her mobile phone bill. She says learning from that and living independently for three years has taught her a lot.
1: So I've kind of grounded myself, but then I've done things like I have been out of home for three years and... That's definitely given me a lot more insight. To the, you know, it's the real world, you know. You are sheltered when you're at home. And, you know, I've got friends now that have just gone flashing, and they're finding it really hard because they've been so, well, not so sheltered, but so protected and haven't really
0: had to do it on their own. At 18, Ben became a father. He says assuming that responsibility changed his life.
6: If I didn't have my son, I may have gone on an extremely um, detrimental path. I also had a lifestyle where I, I sm- smoked quite a bit of um, pot, and that was just a part of my lifestyle. I I had dreads halfway down my back, and I I was in the mentality of, well, that's you know, that's me. I'm I'm only seventeen. I'm eighteen. I'm just having a blast. But that was something that through the the, the stages of having a son, as he was born, I gave all that up.
0: And you cut your hair.
6: And I cut my hair. I did.
0: If learning about life for young people also means learning about death too, when risk-taking ends in tragedy, I was told bad stuff happens. What will be, will be. Is this the teenage brain talking? Celia Lashley believes a lot of it is about talking themselves up.
7: The bravado of the boys was amazing but it didn't take me many questions when I became to realise that they were a lot less sophisticated and what we're doing as a society is we're meeting the sophistication up here, the the top level they can access technology, they seem to be moving much faster than us and they're very glib in their comments so we meet them up there but there's this huge gap of naivety sitting in under here
0: Professor Harleen Hain would like to see a larger net provided for young people tighter boundaries, and better guidance. But she says her work on brain development has made her more empathetic towards young people. Your
2: teenager is not behaving the way that he or she is because they're mean and rotten and nasty. It's because they are undergoing a neurological change that predisposes them to behave in certain ways. And for me, both as a parent and as a university professor, it's been a major epiphany for me to begin to think about university undergraduates more in terms of adolescence than in in terms of being young adults. Because when we start to think about the 18, 19, and 20-year-old as an adolescent, we're probably much more likely to be compassionate and understanding about their behaviour
0: rather than being angry and punitive. Flying off the handle, tantrums, risk-taking. They're difficult situations to handle, but the majority of adolescents survive the process without any great harm to themselves, their families or to society. The growing understanding of brain development offers a chance of adults better relating to young people, if not fully comprehending. That insight was written and presented by me, Sue Ingram. It was first broadcast in July 2009.